0: I'm Ellie Kumar and this is My Voice, a series of conversations where we highlight the work of Black and Asian people in the arts. We'll be hearing from some of the most exciting voices in literature, art, theatre, poetry, filmmaking and more, and tackling issues like representation and diversity in the industry. Today we're chatting to playwright Olivia Hannah, whose first full-length play *Braids* was due to take to the stage earlier this year before lockdown began. She was named one of Live Theatre's associate artists for 2018 and 19. We talk about the state of the theatre world due to the pandemic and what her hopes are for the future of the industry. How did I get into theatre in the first place? I wasn't
1: probably a regular theatre goer, even just to watch theatre, until about 2014 and I went with a friend who was working on a production just to see a sort of new writing showcase um, I just got really excited about it. Um, it just felt really relevant, perhaps even more so than TV or film. And I had been writing at that point, like as a hobby, I suppose, for quite a long time. And then a couple of years later, I started actually writing scripts. So that was in 2017. So yeah, in 2017, I wrote a short play, which I submitted to live theatre and it just felt great. <laughs> it's just had a great feeling seeing your work being performed um, and sort of getting to work with the actors and the director in rehearsals. From there, I went on to do the Royal Court Writers'
0: Group North, which was just like rocket fuel. By the end of that, I had a full-length play, which was Braids. When you sort of started out, was it ever something that you thought, this could be a full-time job, this, this is going to be my career?
1: It felt like my hobby had got out of control, to be honest. <laughs> like. And I, I definitely had aspirations to do more and sort of take it more seriously and push myself. Um, but the thought of actually becoming a writer seemed very... I mean, it still is a little distant. It feels closer now, um, but I do still work um, as a translator as well because, you know, theatre doesn't pay a lot, <laughs> if we're being honest. So there's most people have something else. But yeah, it definitely feels a lot closer now. And that feels actually quite quite a steep trajectory to have gone from let me try this thing that might be fun, to actually I want to make this my job in three years. I guess it's been a bit less.
0: Which is fantastic to say about you, isn't it? It's When you look back at yourself, I guess you must be just so proud that this has, this has happened so fast.
1: I mean, I've worked hard, but a lot of it's about support. And I think it's being in the right place at the right time. So being able to do things like the Royal Court Group, getting support from live theatre, those things make a huge difference there's only so much you can do on your own as a you know as an artist.
0: So tell us about Braids which is your is it your first full-length theatre piece? Yes, Yes it is
1: yes Braids is
0: kind of a coming of
1: age story about two young girls growing up in County Durham one of them is mixed race and she's local she's grown up you know, spent her whole life in County Durham. She meets a girl who's just moved there from Manchester, who's got a really different sort of life experience having grown up in a city. It's about their friendship in different ways, trying to find a sense of belonging. So I didn't grow up in the Northeast, I grew up myself in Suffolk. So a lot of my experiences of being kind of one of the few people of colour in a rural area, a lot of those have gone into sort of creating this
0: and talking about that sort of quite strange experience. (laughs) What pushed you to to write this down and to sort of get this out on the page?
1: It's something that I hadn't really approached before and I think there's a lot to do with my own experiences as a black person um, that I've never really written about and I'm not sure why Um, but a lot of it all kind of came out in this this one play it just felt like the right medium for it. For a lot of years, I've been writing short stories, but this isn't the kind of thing that I'd really written about. Someone who saw a reading of Braids described it as an expulsion, (laughs) which I think is accurate. Like, it just felt like everything was kind of coming out, sort of all these thoughts and memories that I'd had from childhood. And I guess everything I write, to a certain extent, it's I want to be seen. I want to let people know what my perspective of the world is. So, this is how I see the world, this is, this is what's different for me. And just, I don't know, it felt important to show a slightly
0: different side to the Black British experience. I mean, when you look at obviously your experiences back in the 80s and 90s, and compare them to obviously what your characters go through in modern day County Durham, Mm-hmm. would you would you say there are still similarities? It seems like it sort of talking to
1: when we've done readings um and things like that and rehearsals and talking to actors, but also talking to other people of color who've read the script or heard about it in some way it does seem like a lot, a lot of it, it's quite similar in a lot of ways um I guess there are things that are really different. The internet is a huge huge you know that makes a massive difference. You are more connected than sort of ever before so it kind of widens your world in a different way but it does seem like that struggling to find your own identity and find a sense of belonging within your own race when you're quite isolated from other people of that race that seems to still be quite <laughs> quite a common experience and quite relatable apparently there's, there's definitely some, some parallels
0: one of the things that you mentioned was how your parents didn't really see race as an issue for you which is something that I've found. My family never really discussed it as something. Is that how you feel really, that your, your family didn't really talk about it, didn't really see any issues of race?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's almost as though I mean, my dad's American and he grew up at a time when I would not want to be black in America. He, You know, he sort of he fought in the Vietnam War and things like that. And I think he looked at the life I had and thought, this is nothing like what I've experienced. This is nothing what like, things are like in the US. And just sort of assumed that that meant there were no issues or that there was nothing that we needed to talk about. And I think my mum's perspective was, I don't know, just that as long as I was healthy and <laughs> sort of well looked after and generally accepted and did well at school and what was the issue and I think I can understand where that comes from but it did yeah there were times when it felt like I was deliberately not talking or not asking questions because it just felt like I shouldn't be (laughs) like I shouldn't have those issues I shouldn't be thinking about those things because actually everything was okay for me and in a lot of ways things were okay for it it's not uncomplicated being only black person in your school with the best will in the world (laughs) like you know there are all kinds of things that you do need to talk about so yeah very much so they, they really they weren't opposed to it but they really didn't see the issue and i think that's part of why i haven't talked about or written about these things is because i really got into a habit of just not talking about race and racial identity and that's kind of something that i've kind of gradually crept out of as i got older i feel like my default position when i meet people or If I make a new friend or I join a new group for whatever reason, a writing group or something, my default position is to just not talk about race.
0: Have you found that writing, particularly writing braids, have you found that that's helped maybe make things sort of clear in your head as to what you want to start talking about and what you want to start thinking about?
1: It has, it's kind of laid some things to rest in a weird way, but also once you bring those things out into the wider world and you start to have discussions with people who've read it or seen it or, you know, engaged with it in some way. Yeah, it just helps you to process. I think a lot of the time I just need to process these things and um,
0: yeah, it really has helped. I don't want to ask sort of questions about your family dynamics, but is it something that you would consider talking to your family about now?
1: We, we do more so now, actually. Yes, I think, I mean, you can't avoid it. There comes a point where you have to sort of have those conversations. And like I say, my parents are not opposed to it. I think my mum, my mum was quite surprised that I had things that I wanted to talk about with regards to race. But I also have a younger brother who's in his 20s, a lot younger than me, who's also mixed race. And just felt like we all need to have that conversation because he's in the same position. My dad moved back to the States a few years ago, so we talk on the phone. I guess when we talk about race, it's a bit more abstract, but I feel like I have deeper conversations with him about it. Black Lives Matter has been really eye-opening, sort of the discussions that we've had around that in the US and and in the UK. We we are talking about it more, and it's actually weirdly uneventful
0: (laughs) for something that I sort of held in for so long. No, and I found the same thing in speaking Mm -hmm. to people, for this series. It was something I'd never really talked about, never really addressed with my parents. I'm an only child, so I often felt very much that I didn't have anybody to talk to who had the same experience as me. And then speaking to so many people now who are saying that they've had the same feelings and it feels really liberating, I find, because you feel like it is normal and it is okay. And it isn't something different that's that's happening to you? Yeah, it's almost like it's not personal.
1: I think it, for a long time this felt like my personal issue. And it's really it's not. It's it's you know, it's a really common experience. A while ago I went to see a play called Leave Taking by Winsome Pinnock. There were some things in that, two young girls, sisters in it, who are both in their own way, sort of trying to reconcile being British and being black. And some of the things that they talk about and some of their experiences just felt so familiar. And there was just this real sort of excitement at seeing something so familiar, but that had felt personal and realising that actually this is much bigger. And it's quite exciting then for me to be on the other side of that and be sharing experiences that I know other young people are going to say, I recognise that. That's how it feels for me too. Have your family either seen or read your play neither of my parents have and i hope that they'll be able to i'm not sure how that will work my brother and sister got to see a rehearsed reading which was quite moving (laughs) for me i was surprised actually how stressed i was about what they might think of it especially because they're not theater goers really they just sort of came out to to support me their
0: response was really good but you know they love me so maybe they were just pretending (laughs) who knows although sometimes they're more (laughs) honest than anyone because if if it's not your brother and sister who's gonna say oh i didn't i didn't like that then who yeah, will tell you that that's true and actually if it, if it had been complete
1: nonsense they would have been like oh, come on <laughs> like that's not what it's like
0: when you look at newcastle and the northeast i'm not from here originally and you're not from here originally but it's somewhere that we've both chosen to make our home but it is traditionally one of the least diverse places in the country. Does that ever come into your your writing and your thinking about who you are and where you fit in in this part of the world? That's a
1: really good question. And I'm not sure because I think my whole life, I have somehow managed to put myself in spaces where I'm a minority. I mean, not obviously, to begin with, not by choice. Uh, growing up in Suffolk was not my idea. <laughs> and um, But even after that, I, I studied in Edinburgh, and that was predominantly white. Then I moved to South Korea for a couple of years. Not a hell of a lot of black people there. And then, yeah, I kind of ended up in the northeast. So, in a way, that's my normal, is sort of being in a minority. And actually... Newcastle might be one of the more diverse places that I've lived, weirdly enough. I think when it's just sort of the water that you're swimming in, you're not really aware of whether it's influencing you or not. I know that my stories, you know, I want to center black people, but will I be writing black people in white spaces or will I be seeking to write black people within black communities? I don't know. So that was a really long winded way of saying, I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) i'm excited to find out i've got more writing ahead of me that's a writer's answer isn't it it's just letting letting all the thoughts out to take it back to to your work um and to to braids in particular you talk about the fact that it's set in county durham but one of the characters has come from a massive city and how important was it that other character had come from somewhere like that rather than the same place. I wanted someone with a real outsider's view of
1: the region to kind of come in and go, what the hell? (laughs) I did want someone with a really very different experience. I guess that's kind of the point of it is sort of contrasting the way that their experience is to this point and how they then process the experience of living in County Durham with their sort of very different backgrounds. That's a lot of what the play is about really. But yeah, it's also quite interesting to show that the North is not a monolith, like it's, it's very different. There are sort of big diverse cities and there are rural areas and it's really different. So it's just quite fun to play with that,
0: really. I mean, going back to the idea of like rural areas, obviously you said that you grew up in, in Suffolk. Is that somewhere that you would consider making a base again or, or moving to again, somewhere that is so rural? Is it something that you would ever consider going back to?
1: No, to be honest, and I mean, I left at 18 pretty much for that reason. Where I grew up is about 80 miles north of London, but you wouldn't have known it at the time. We never went to London. It always did feel really disconnected and I never really felt like that suited me. I think if I were going to move away, it would be further away. Other people love that. It does feel like you are out of the world a little bit, but that's not for me. Actually, I'm almost surprised I've stayed in Newcastle for as long as I have. I can get to a field when I want to, but I don't feel like I'm stuck on the edge of a field constantly,
0: which was kind of how I felt growing up. Yes, no, that was, oh, the town that I lived in was, there was one bus an hour that took 50 minutes to get somewhere that actually would only take you 15 minutes in a car. Yeah, that's it, because that one bus goes everywhere. slightly wider at theatre and the industry did you did you feel represented I've probably got out and seen more theatre outside of
1: Newcastle than ever before in my life over the past couple of years and I've seen so much amazing work by black writers and performers I feel well fed (laughs) in that respect but a lot of it is from outside the region I've seen very little about Black Geordies it was a brilliant show on last year last year Time means nothing. Shine by Kemma Kay. Yeah, and I can remember walking out of that and thinking, yeah, that's that's someone talking about growing up black in Newcastle. That's, yeah, I haven't
0: seen that before, I don't think so. I think there's progress to be made in that respect. Do you um, feel that you have to seek out the representation and seek out stories that that resonate with you more? There is an element of
1: seeking that, seeking out, yeah, black stories. And I'm happy to do that work, but it would be nice to
0: see more locally. So one of the, the bigger issues that has been talked about quite a lot recently following the Black Lives Matter campaigns is that particularly in the arts and in culture, in terms of music and writing and novels and plays and films, is that a lot of, of Black creative people say that they feel like they have to be speaking for everyone or their art is, is speaking for all black experience whereas you would never associate that with a white author or a white artist do you worry about that do you worry that that's something that would happen with your work and that people don't look at it as art in itself but instead as a like a lesson yes yeah
1: I do know what you mean um, I think feel like it's something I can't afford to worry about I have to just move forward and tell the stories that I want to tell and I've made a choice to sort of to centre black people in my writing that doesn't mean that I'm always going to be talking about race so my second play which I'm redrafting for I think the seventh time is about my sister's experience of having cancer when she was 23 what it was like to recover from that and sort of ideas that she had about having to project strength and coming out of chemotherapy, which is rips your life apart. <laughs> I'd be interested to see what the response to that would be, because that will be a play about a black woman, but it's about chemotherapy and recovering from chemotherapy. But I do know what you mean. And I, f- I think there's a worry that if you're a black artist, you're seen as making black art, not just making art. I don't know if you saw I May Destroy You on the BBC recently um and I saw you know more than one person comment that they were surprised at how relatable they found it we're talking about a human experience it shouldn't be surprising that you can relate to black people having such a you know such a common experience so yeah it's it's a concern but my hope is that as more and more writers um and more and more black artists get their work out that you know that won't be an issue there won't be a sense that you have to be the ambassador of blackness you know (laughs) you don't have to sort of be a spokesperson for your entire race you can just make art and be seen as an artist
0: I hope that's where we're heading towards maybe I'm just an optimist (laughs) maybe it is optimistic but I think it's what we want and what we want to to try and do have you ever found yourself in a room where you are the only non-white person in terms of sort of meetings or job interviews or jobs in general. That's really common (laughs) throughout my life really. I mean, even
1: before sort of getting into theatre, I've worked in industries which are, you know, quite white spaces in a lot of areas. So yeah, that is normal. I don't know. I think it depends on what the space is, what the purpose of the space is. I mean, sort of part of when I sort of say, I don't tend to talk about race, definitely in all white workplaces, that's a subject that I wouldn't have broached. So it's definitely had an effect, I would say within the arts it still happens I feel like meetings and um, sort of encounters that I have within the arts they're approaching me as a black artist and my writing is partly about race and it feels like I can speak freely I have to assume that kind of they're on my side (laughs) and that they're interested in those issues but also that you know they're investing in me not just as a black person but as someone with a voice who has potential so again it's one of those things it's just part of the air that I breathe the water that I swim in so it's really hard to think about how it affects me but
0: it probably does affect me I'm just not aware of it (laughs) it's almost hard to tell you don't realize you walk into a room and you're sitting there and a lot of the time for me I don't notice it until an issue is raised until something happens or somebody says something and I would just sit and go Well, no. Hmm. But then realise that other people maybe haven't got that, particularly around the Black Lives Matter protests. And then going back to the newsroom where you have people who come in with the Daily Mail or Sky News or Fox News or, and you don't really realise it until then. I think I've
1: always moved in quite liberal spaces. I think it's interesting that you're talking about sort of how the language to use and how to talk about it, because I think actually as a nation, we're not used to having these conversations. And I think even black and other um, other sort of minority ethnic people are going to find that maybe they're not literate in this topic and and then people are gonna be looking at them to speak on something that maybe they, even they haven't been able to articulate before now. So yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. It's really new for a lot of us. I think we're a little bit behind actually in having those conversations and broaching those topics. Okay.
0: Obviously the big elephant in the room at the moment for all theatre, playwrights, actors is coronavirus and the pandemic has, has kind of shut everything down.
1: Yeah.
0: And without, without dwelling too much on, on it, but are you worried about the future of theatre, the future of your play? yes both of those things we all kind of
1: breathed a sigh of relief when um the sort of the arts rescue package was announced but i still don't know quite what that means exactly for theater we're still seeing theaters having to go into redundancy or close yeah it's going to it's going to make a drastic difference to the amount of work that theaters can put on in the future so yeah it is it is worrying i suppose we can also look at it as an opportunity to reshape theater and to sort of restart in a different way. I think in the long-term we'll be fine. Again, I, maybe I'm just being an optimist, but I think in the long-term we'll be fine, but I think there's some quite painful times ahead. And in terms of braids, I hope it really is just a, a postponement and that we'll get to see it at live theater. I think that's the venue that I most want to see that play performed at, but you know, it's, it's tough. It's a really tough time. So um, I'm just kind of trying not to have any specific expectations and just hope for the best. It feels a little bit like we're in limbo
0: and who knows what's going to be on the other side of it. I think that's probably a good, a good approach to have at the moment. You mentioned then that this might be a good opportunity to reshape theatre. I suppose to just sort of to make it more accessible to a wider range of people.
1: I read a little bit of something about um, culture in France a while ago. It's much more embedded in people's everyday lives. I think I would like to see a version of theatre that was in communities more, that was more involved with, um, with local life. I would like to see theatres so embedded in communities that communities wouldn't wouldn't dream of seeing them close, but also that people will see those as spaces that they can access. When I had my rehearsed reading of Braids in London and my brother and sister came up, neither of them are theatre goers, and their first question was, what do we wear? Because what they heard was Royal Court Theatre and just assumed that it was going to be this really posh space that they were going to be out of place in. Yeah, it would be great to sort of just bring more people in, and I think bringing people in by going out into communities and doing more work with communities and telling those stories with those people. I just like to see, you know, underrepresented people of all kinds getting more opportunities in theatre. I think there's a fear that theatre will sort of contract to the familiar and just really focus on what are seen as successful stories. I think there's a worry that, yeah, we'll just go back
0: to everything being by and about white dudes. We've said several times that you're very optimistic in this and we've been we've been doing the optimistic line. So for this, we will be optimistic. When people can see braids and when people do get to go and see braids, what are you hoping that the audiences will take away from it? I
1: hope that they will come away having had a good time. <laughs> I hope they will have laughed and I hope they will come away saying that they learned something new. I think I'd like them to leave with a feeling of warmth. Yeah, just a feeling that they've got to know someone new and they've got to see a new perspective. Um, More than anything, I would like audiences to have enjoyed themselves and to have seen a story about something that they perhaps weren't aware of or didn't know much about before. And if that happens, I'll, yeah, I feel like I will have done my job.
0: You said. That it would be great if other colleges or young people or young art groups could perform it and maybe make it specific to, to wherever they're based or to their regions. That's something that you could do I guess isn't it? Is that something you would look at doing in the future and maybe maybe taking it to to other parts of the country. I I mean, I would absolutely
1: love that. I don't know in practical terms how that would work, but that's absolutely something, yeah, I would love to see. Partly because it's not even just black people who've said that they see something relatable in it. There's all kinds of people. I feel like it wouldn't even need to be a story about two black girls. It could be two South Asian girls in Wales. I would love to see that. That's something I would definitely want to be involved in.
0: Olivia Hannah's braids will hopefully be back on stage at Live Theatre in Newcastle as soon as possible and until then she's working on her second play, This Is My Voice, It's a series produced by me, Ellie Kumar.